incredible joy. And we thank God for it. Amen? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. We're truly grateful for this opportunity to worship together as family. I, I am so grateful and feel it humbled and privileged to, uh, to have the lot be cast, although I think it was set up <laughs> and fall upon me. But I give God great praise and honor for the leadership and direction, uh, Reverend Donnell, Reverend Tripp. I'll save him for later, Reverend Carey, <laughs> and my dear friend, quickly becoming my brother, Reverend Gary. Um, also to Bonnie and Sis Kishana, uh, we thank you for all who have had a hand in, in helping this worship experience come to pass uh, on this particular Sunday. I think it is a great witness uh, to the kingdom of God to be able to celebrate Pentecost uh, as one beautifully diverse family of believers. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I know that I'm the last thing that stands between us and the food and the fun, so uh, let's go to work. Uh, I want to draw your attention to a passage that was read for us uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I just want to raise verses 5 through 13. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. So many places that we can go in this text. And so we had an 8 o'clock service. So this is the remix version. (laughs) I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And we find these words. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphyla, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words from my mouth and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are indeed our rock, you are our strength, and you are our redeemer. And for that we say thank you. Now, O oh God, speak as only you must, so that we might hear from you on this day. It is in your precious and holy name we pray. And we say, Amen. 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 Pentecost Sunday is one that unfortunately has been filled with so many 
misnomers and radically false misinterpretations as to what the power of Pentecost really is. And so much so that it, it is, there's been developed a, a radical mystique around Pentecost Sunday that has a lot to do with illusionary magic. And we see all of these wonderful signs about people speaking in a way that they've never spoken before. And, and while, as with most things, there you may find hints of truths here and there, the reality is we, I believe, miss much of the power of Pentecost because of how it has been churched, I should say, how it has been traditionalized, how it has been substituted for meaning in so many ways over generations. But on, on this morning, it is my prayer, my hope that we can begin to glean and uncover some of the more original truths that existed in this text in which we find Pentecost happening. Um, one of the things that I found in, in Scripture is that it, it always is alive because it is in the creases that I believe we find some of the greatest revelations about God's truths, God's, God's works, God's power that God has revealed to us as God's children. And, and so the first thing, let's, let's kill the, the misnomer that Pentecost is a Christian. It started with Christianity. Did not. Pentecost was, was Jewish. It was a festival in which they, it, it, Pentecost, the word Pentecost actually literally means 50th. It's 50 days after, after the Passover, the celebration of the Passover, when all the Jews would make another trek to come to Jerusalem to actually celebrate in the festival of, of Pentecost, which was recognizing the giving of the law by Moses. And so this was already established in, in the hearts and the lives and the culture of, of Judaism. And so uh, here we find, I believe, uh, the true wealth of Pentecost is that amidst all of the beauty of, of what's going on, there was a wide variety of people, people from all over the known world at that time, who were gathered together in Jerusalem. I want you all to see them today. They might look a lot like some of us, coming from all walks of life, all parts of the known world. And for today, maybe let's, let's make our known world be the southeast part of South Carolina. And you got people who came from Somerville and, and West Ashley and, and Goose Creek and Monk's Corner and St. Stephen's and Alvin, where in each section and area there were different dialects and local colloquialisms and, and different ways that people talked and communicated with one another. But for this particular day, on this particular time, at this particular celebration, there was a massive coming together of everybody for this Jewish festival. But as we can see in a test too that happens so many times in church, that they came together and the fact that they were together does not necessarily mean that they gathered with expectation of encountering God. Have you ever been there where, where you've been around people or been in certain environments where people have the right language, they have the right celebrations, they, they carry the right jargon, but the reality is all you have been a part of was a social gathering or a social meeting that could have taken place at the local club. We just put a label on it and say it happened in a church, so therefore it must be religious. No. 
They would gather there, many of them, I believe, gathered out of their customs and their traditions, out of things that were passed down because their parents and grandparents would always make this trek to Jerusalem during this particular time to celebrate the Pentecost celebration. And then they came, many of them, I believe, with no expectation of encountering the God in which they serve. Sadly enough, that happens, I know not here at St. Paul Somerville, But it happens in so many of our churches that people gather week in and week out out of their same old routine, mundane routines, and they never really come with an expectation to really meet God. We we come with an expectation to see like-minded people, to see people who celebrate like us, who look like us, who, who carry their lives according to how most of us do. We come to have a casual reinforcement of what has become our norm. Sadly enough, we don't come to really encounter God. Many of our houses of worship, if God really showed up one day, some of us would actually miss him. I really believe that. But here, here we have something happening, and I want to look at Pentecost in a slightly different way. I want to focus beginning not not so much on the disciples, but I want to look at everybody that was coming. See, there was, uh, I believe, a a special dynamic happening. There was people who came who had dominant assumptions about about people and about particular locations, and and they came with their dominant assumptions, and, and they were meeting without even realizing that they were meeting with people who had untapped power, and they were meeting in a place where where God had created a divine opportunity. So you had a flow of of dominant assumptions about to collide with untapped power, and they were meeting in a place where God had created an opportunity for a divine encounter. Oh, my God, I need us to see that, that imagery now. Here are all the people flooding in to the city gates of Jerusalem from all across the known world, and they get there, and, and they show us the first thing that I believe we learn is that, one, devout does not make you connected. You can be devout your entire life long. You can, can serve in church and function and music and acolytes and ushers. You can do all of, of the trappings of church. You can be devout in your tithes and your offering and visiting the sick and, and going to those who are in prison. You can do all of the things that would make you devout and never, ever experience what it feels like to be connected to God. It's a sad occasion that we can have people, and we do have so many of our, our friends and our loved ones who are devout in what they do, devout in what they consider themselves to have to do as a responsibility for their Christian faith, but they are disconnected from God. And how can I make this assumption? Well, all I got to do is look around the world. How can we have churches so filled with us and communities so empty of power? We say we serve a God who's all-powerful, a God who can do anything, but, but here we are afraid to actually reshape the communities in which God has placed us to actually live and have our being. How can those two be reconciled? How can we say that we're so devout, but in all the little ways we don't carry out the true love of God? We love when it's easy, and we love when it's convenient, and we love when it's comfortable, but when God calls us to love the unlovable, to love those who don't look like us, to love those who don't think like us, to love those who would actually mean us harm, when we are forced or called to actually practice the agape love of God, 
That's when devout takes the exit. Devout says, no, my God wouldn't call me to do that. No, there's a difference between being devout and being connected. When we are connected, then we actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus. When we are connected, then we can do like Jesus showed us. When Jesus said, I, I, don't, know, I don't know everything that I'm supposed to do. I do what I see my father doing. Because of the nature of their connection, Jesus said, I will always give myself to doing whatever my father shows me to do. So that's why Jesus can be comfortable sitting with tax collectors. That's why he could be comfortable going out into the marginal areas and, and fellowshipping with some of the untouchables and undesirables in, in the society of his day. He could do that because he does what he sees his father doing. And I believe Jesus. You know why? Simple thing, Reverend Tripp. I believe him because if you look at the miracles he performs, if Jesus was just like many of us and just devout, he probably would have been like Moses. And, and when the people cried out for water and God said, Moses, strike the rock, and Moses does it and water comes out, and then, and then the people got on Moses' nerve again, and, and Moses, God says, the first time I did it, I did it for the people, but this time I'm doing it for you, Moses. I need you to grow. I want you to speak to the rock. I know you have a speech impediment, but I want you to grow in front of the people. And Mo God said, Moses, speak to the rock, and Moses said, no, it worked before, so I'm going to trust. Struck it, and guess what? Water came out, but he missed his opportunity to enter into the promised land. See, Jesus, if he was like us, he would have probably healed the blind people the same way. He would have probably spit in the ground and made some mud and put it there. But he didn't always heal the same way because each encounter was different. That means that he approached every encounter with fresh expectation of what God might do in this moment. Oh, that we as a church would understand how to walk as disciples of Jesus and approach every, every opportunity with fresh expectation, meaning we come to St. Paul's this morning and not understanding what God might have on the agenda, but this might be the day that God says, I am well pleased with you all being able to worship together in genuine harmony, harmony. and God says, I want to show up, and we don't block him because God says, I'm going to show up outside of our liturgy. Heavens forbid God shows up outside of any of our liturgies. So, first thing that they show us is that there's a difference between being devout and being connected. And when you are just devout and devoid of connection, it causes us to see people as other than. We rate and label people based on what the assumptions we have shaped around them. And that's what was going on with all of our brothers and sisters who were coming from all of these various areas. They came to Jerusalem, and they got to Jerusalem. And if you look at them, they got there, and they said, man, this is beautiful. And I, I imagine, we talked about it this morning at our 8 o'clock service. I would imagine that some of them said, well, I heard about something that happened 
about seven weeks ago with this, this character named Jesus. And I heard some good things. I heard some bad things. I don't know. Can you imagine? What, what did you hear? And they started talking, and, and they were wondering and had so many questions for people as they got there. And then all of a sudden, they heard this noise like the sound of a rushing wind. And here they are, people coming from all across the place. And they had their attention drawn to a place that they had not intended on going, but they were drawn there because of the noise. And they got there. And when they got there, the most craziest thing that you can imagine happened. They heard about the good deeds of God. Can you imagine? In their own language, their own native language, and and people would stop and they think that that is the miracle of Pentecost. No, it's not. I'm here to tell you today. See, I can mess you up and then Reverend Tripp can have to clean you back up. <laughs> That's not the greatest miracle of Pentecost. See, if you look at, I mean, scholars, they, they all are divided as to the particular, particularities of this text. But, but, but you would imagine that all of these were devout Jews. To make the pilgrimage, they were devout Jews from the diaspora coming from all places, but, but they had their roots in Judaism, and even some were proselytites, and so they were converted. They were Gentiles converted to Judaism, but the assumption would be that many of them would have spoken the, the native tongue there, which would have either been Hebrew or Greek, but, but here they heard something different, and it says that they heard it in their own tongue, which, which for some of them, based on the text, the surprise was not that they heard it in their own tongue. The surprise was that they heard it from people from Galilee. It's in the text. I'm not making it up. They said, we hear them speaking all of these great things, and we hear it in our own tongues. But, but aren't they Galileans? Like many of the na- much of the nation would look at us, and as we do some of our wonderful things, they look at our educational ranking and say, can, can any great thing come from South Carolina? <laughs> if we get on the national stage and do something and, and we begin to speak in a way that, that confounds and impresses and, and mesmerizes everybody, they, they, they might not be so enamored with the act as who it's coming from. Dare I say that we do that among ourselves. That's why many of us miss the move of God. Because God continues, as he's done in, in Scripture, and he continues to do now, he, he likes to move in ways that we can't peg his movements. God likes to reveal God's self in ways that will surprise all of us. Once we think we know how God moves, when, when we say Pastor Tripp is the vessel of God, and once we get used to Pastor Tripp, God will find a way to raise up a voice that says, wait a minute, that's not Pastor Tripp. I can't listen to that. That's not past the trip, right? Because we like to get comfortable in what we know, and we like to get comfortable in our assumptions about what we don't know. All of these foreigners coming back to Jerusalem, they made an assumption that the slums of Galilee could not produce men who would have the qualifications to actually carry out the feat of speaking in everyone's native tongues. 
That's why they were amazed. They were amazed because these poor fishermen, these poor ragtag gang of about 120 folk were actually had the ability, the aptitude to speak in these languages that for them was beyond their comprehension. It's their radical assumptions that they had, but their assumptions was head-on, in a head-on collision for untapped power. And they had two questions. The second thing they show is they had two questions that came out of that. Anytime we have our assumptions, anytime God begins to challenge us with what we think should happen, anytime that God puts us in situations in which we are not sure because we feel like what's happening might be of God, but the vessel that's carrying it is, is a, not what we would consider godly. In, in, whenever God places us in those environments, we have two ways of reacting just like those foreigners to Jerusalem. They said, what does this mean? Which suggests curiosity, which suggests that they wanted to investigate more. They wanted to find out. They wanted to push in and see, could this be God? Is there a deeper meaning? Or, like some of the other ones, ah, they just drunk. (laughs) They got new wine. And I believe that's, that speaks to us as well, because it's easier for us to downplay what God might be doing. It is so much easier. It's, it's cleaner. It's neater. It's a better package to downplay how God might be calling us to do some radical things. Think about it. Think about it, St. Paul's R.E. Think about it, St. Timothy's. Think about it, Grace. Think about it, St. Paul's Somerville. People around us could look at this this morning and say, it won't work. It's not real. They shouldn't do that. They're two different styles of worship, different people, different backgrounds. They can't genuinely do that. But we stand here and sit here today as testimonies to those who are willing to say, yes, we can do that because we serve a God that says all things are possible. When... We commit, right? And so our answer, our question would be, what does this mean? And then that's more work for Pastor Tripp, Pastor Gary, Pastor Darnell, and myself. Because what does this mean as we fellowship and we realize that black, white, brown, yellow don't really matter. Red, blue, purple don't really matter. We can all be different but still love the same. Love is what really unifies. And so we would have the question, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? How can we continue to worship and work and serve and build God's community together as a family and stop having Sundays be the most divided time in our culture? And so the second thing that happened is they asked the two questions. And it is the second question that I believe leads me to my final point. See, the second or supposition was that they were drunk. It said it was a few of them. I love how it it lists them. It says, uh, but others sneered and said they're merely drunk. You know, when you try to do something that you're stretching to do what you feel God is calling you to do, that hasn't really been done before and you don't really know the roadmap, 
there will be those who will see your effort and will unite in prayer and say, well, this is not my call, but I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you have the strength to continue. I hope that you're able to push forward and do what God is calling you to do. But there will be those who will look at what you're trying to do and be like those who started to sneer and said, man, eh, they're just drunk. Don't neglect the naysayers. Honestly, we like naysayers because sometimes it's the naysayers that actually have the, the, the power to push us to our place of real power. Well, look at Peter. Now we're going to jump back to Peter for our last point. See, Peter had been hiding. He had left Jesus. We know the story. I won't have to rehearse the whole thing. He abandoned him. He went to the tomb, saw that he wasn't there. And Jesus came, revealed himself to Peter and everybody else. And, and you could tell that they were still afraid because they were still in hiding. Even in this text, they're still in the room by themselves, afraid to go out into the public square because of what had already happened to Jesus. They were afraid, even though they had been with him and walked with him and heard his teachings and committed themselves to him, even though they had seen the risen Savior, even though he had... was afraid and the disciples were afraid they weren't carrying out the mission of Jesus because they were doing it together in a safe space but Jesus had told them I want you to go out and so here look at God God had people who were coming who had made their false assumptions meeting people who had untapped power and God carved out a space and said I if you're not gonna go out I'm gonna bring the world to you and I'm pre I'm carving out a space where those folks will meet you and in that moment I want y'all to hear Peter differently Peter who was afraid Peter who ran away Peter who had been hiding Peter who was listening how God was pouring out God's spirit Peter who saw the masses coming Peter who were afraid of everybody that Peter and that day he stood up and said he says he stood standing with the 11 raised his voice and addressed them men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, 
These are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, I like to, to, to put that in there. I love that. Because Peter didn't say, these are not drunk because they don't drink. He said, they ain't drunk because it's 9 o'clock in the morning. You catch them about 7 o'clock at night, I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's not so much the ex- ex- all of the content in which Peter shared in that initial, that initial speech. It's the fact that Peter finally stood up. And listen to what he addresses first. He addresses those who were actually sneering at them. He addresses those who had something negative to say about what was going on. It was the sneering folk that actually pushed Peter to actually walk in his power. Remember, the, the, the purpose of Pentecost was the Spirit giving them power to actually testify. It was the Spirit giving them power to tell the story, to not be afraid of what might come. And it was the naysayers that pushed Peter to actually stand up and believe that he He was the rock upon which Jesus said, I will build my church. All of the lessons started coming back. I remember that Jesus told me that I would be somebody special. He told me that we could go out and do more things than he did. He told me that there would be a time that he would leave, but we would have to carry on. Peter, let the naysayers push him to the place where he began to activate what he really believed, and in that moment, he actually activated the power of God that was in him. To me, that is Pentecost. Pentecost is when we allow God's Spirit to activate the power of God in us that actually pushes us to testify to the deeds of the deeds of good that God does in our lives. We have a world that needs to hear of what God is doing in our lives. I don't care how small or insignificant you think it or you might be. There's somebody in this world who needs to hear exactly what you have to say. They need to hear how God kept you after you lost a loved one. They, they need to hear how God gave you strength while you were battling back from cancer or disease. They need to hear how God allowed you to stay firm and planted in your marriage and relationship through ups and downs, and you're able to talk on this side of it. They need to hear it. That is what heals our world and our land. But if we stay in our beautiful spaces and are content with just being devout and not connected, my brothers and my sisters, I do believe we may miss the opportunities to truly experience that Pentecost power, to be put in places where we can speak the language of those who might not ordinarily hear us. And lastly, I'll say to to us, for us, because we don't find ourselves in too many unless you work for the United Nations. But what does it sound like to share God's deeds of power in your life with somebody who might be in a different part of town than you and, and don't speak the same language or dialect as you? What does it sound like for us to step outside of our comfort zones and engage in conversations not even knowing exactly what to say but trusting 
in that same Pentecost power that, that God as he leads us will be the same God whose spirit will empower us to say exactly what needs to be said in that moment and dismiss our assumptions or presuppositions, but to actually genuinely go out and say, God, I'm going to trust in your power in this moment that you will give me whatever is necessary so that not my ideals, not my understanding of my faith, but so that God, you, and your love might be communicated. Beloved, let us all have personal Pentecost Sundays where we are reminded in those words of Peter to repent, to turn away from all of the things that we might have been doing that leads us further away from our connection to God and actually, actually live in the name, in the character, in the identity of Jesus Christ. Let us do that on the day. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this beautiful reminder of what it is to be a part of your magnificent kingdom. God, we thank you for all of the beautiful nuances that each of us represent. Now, oh God, empower us to leave this place not just having a good service, but to actually go out and impact your world. We love you and we thank you and we ever trust you. For God is in your holy and precious name we pray and we say amen. amen. Thank you, bro.